and altogether holy, altogether awesome. The adjectives we run out in our language, Lord, but we just come to you this morning to glorify you, to give you praise, to ask that you would inhabit and fill this place with your presence, that we may meet with you. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Alenia Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm the uh, senior pastor here. And it's going to be a great day as the lights come on. Find someone you didn't come to church with. And a lot of new faces in here this morning. And make a new friend. Well, good morning. Can we all just collectively give all of our MTSU students a round of applause? They're back in the house today. Yeah, we're so excited that you're here. It's always a very sad and lonely summer, is it not? So, uh, well, uh, before I get started, a couple of things I want to just uh, point out to you you may not know. But first, we have a new website. So uh, if you go to lineachurch.org um, and check that out, uh, I think it's a, a lot cleaner, a lot more descriptive of what we're trying to do as a church, and you can share with your friends. Um, when we started the church, actually we came up with the name in 2020, uh, went online, I bought everything. Alinea.org, alineachurch.net, .com, <laughs> .church, .whatever. Uh, so we got them all because, like I said, there's only one Alinea Church in the world, and you're sitting in it. So, um, also, we're going to begin. Uh, we're going to try something out. I always like to use the word "try" uh, because I never want to sound very dogmatic. Because I think everything that we do as a ministry is a little bit of an experiment. Uh, we're going to see if this works out. Uh, but we are going to start out second Monday of every month. We're going to be doing uh, Monday Mondays. And uh, we're going to be meeting right here from 7 to 9. Uh, this is for all the men in the house. Uh, we're going to do this once a month. Uh, we're going to serve you food. Someone's going to cook for you. You get to eat, and we're going to sit around, and we're going to talk about things that uh, we as men uh, need to talk about, but a lot of times uh, we're afraid to talk about. Can I get an amen about that? And uh, so we're going to hit some uh, important issues. And so we actually have a curriculum that's been gifted to us from a church in Knoxville uh, that runs a span of 24 months. So it hits all of these different things that have to do with integrity uh, and disciplines of a godly man. So uh, if uh, you're a guy in the house, bring your student with you. Um, middle school and high school can come to this as well. In fact, we have uh, they'll have their own table for that. Uh, but... Uh, this is also, I do not call this a small group. We're going to talk about small groups at the end of service. Um, this is not a small group, all right? This is a mid-sized group. And, uh, <laughs> um, and so it's a great entryway into small groups. So if you know someone who's like, I'm not sure about church and I'm not sure about small groups, this is a really easy entry into the life of the church because everybody likes food, right? 
Uh, so we're going to be doing that. Also, just some dates to keep in mind. Uh, September 3rd, we're going to have, uh, that's next week, after church picnic. All right? And so everybody bring a dish to share. Um, please don't make it a weird dish. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, September 10th um, is uh, Vision Sunday. That's where I get to really just share uh, what's on my heart as your pastor and where I see God taking us. Well, I try to do this twice a year, do a Vision Sunday. So talk about the next six to 12 months. And then on September the 10th, uh, September the 17th, we'll start a new series called Seeds. In fact, if you uh, go out and you sign up for a group today, you're going to see a lot of people have these books at their table. We, uh, as a church, there's going to be a couple of groups that aren't doing this curriculum, uh, but several groups are. We're going to be going together as a church. The message and the group material will match during that entire series. And we're going to talk about um, what you want tomorrow you're going to have to invest in today. All right, you want a good family, you've got to invest in it today. You want stronger faith, you've got to invest in it today. So we're going to explore this whole idea of sowing and reaping uh, during this series of seeds, all right? Uh, but today, we're talking about uh, forgiveness. Uh, it's more than saying sorry, and everybody uh, that watches one of my favorite Christmas movies will get that reference. Um, but we've uh, hit a really hard topic. I think it's probably one of the most difficult series that uh, I've had to study and deliver to you because forgiveness is a difficult topic. In the first Sunday, we talked about what forgiveness is not, right? And so if you've missed any of these messages, make sure you go back and check out uh, the podcast where, uh, where, all, where all podcasts are delivered, wherever you get your, your, your content. Uh, you should see Alinea Church on there, but we talked about what forgiveness is not. And then last week, we talked about what forgiveness is. And today, I want to talk to you about the root of unforgiveness and, and the detriment of unforgiveness, all right? Uh, my wife and I, uh, we, ha we have fallen into trap that most married couples have fallen into, and that's uh, laying awake in bed saying we're going to go to bed early only to watch uh, TikTok and Instagram reels, Right? And so we're always sending each other Instagram reels, right? Uh, when someone disappears into the bathroom, the other phone starts blowing up with Instagram reels that they, oh, check this one out, check this out. And, and one of the things that we've realized is uh, that as a married couple, we're all living the same life. I guarantee you, if you're a married couple, you're probably seeing the same content that we're seeing because she'll send me something. I'm like, yeah, I saw that two days ago. And I'll send her something. And she'll say, I, I, I saw that. I saw that already. Um, one of the things that really disturbs me about uh, these reels and, and TikTok videos is uh, how people have no idea how to cook. Like, <laughs> some of the stuff that I see. Uh, you know, it'll pop up like, why isn't, why isn't everybody talking about these, these new pickles? These new pickles are great, and these, these are Kool-Aid pickles. I'm like, what? She puts a pack of Kool-Aid in her pickle juice and then dumps her pickles in there. And I'm like, no one's talking about this recipe because it's weird. <laughs> why isn't anybody talking about kitchen sink macaroni and cheese? I'm like, what are you talking about? And literally, they took their kitchen sink and dumped everything in the kitchen sink and started ma making mac and cheese. No one's talking about it because you're weird. <laughs> and we're not weird. 
There's so many things on there that are just weird. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why is no one talking about this? Because I'm never going to eat it. That's why no one's talking about this. Probably somebody in my family that's saying, why is no one talking about cottage cheese salad? It's because we, I don't, no one likes it, Mom. <laughs> my mom's in the house. My mom's in the house today. It's the, we always have, we always have a, a, a healthy family argument. And I'm losing right now, like to 20 to 1, I'm losing the cottage cheese salad debate. Um, but... As believers, honestly, we're called to be a little bit weird, right? Um, actually, we're called to be a lot weird. We're called to be set apart from the world. We're called to be different from the world. We're, we're called to not act like the world acts, you know? Apostle Paul says, do, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like, like there's, we should think differently, and we should act differently, and... We should posture ourselves differently. But when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, it, it is really difficult to do that. You know, we ended our message last week looking at uh, the interaction with the disciples and Jesus when they said, wow, yeah, this forgiveness stuff is difficult. Increase our faith. And Jesus says, no, you, I don't need to increase your faith. You got all the faith you need. The problem you have is obedience, right? So what really comes down to it, it's obedience that we have a hard time with when it comes to forgiveness. And today I want to look at forgiveness from a different perspective. Like, okay, well, let's say that we just don't deal with it and we just decide to live in this world of unforgiveness. What's going to happen to us, right? And the first thing that happens to us in unforgiveness is we, we tend to get bitter, right? Bitterness starts to, to swell up into our hearts. It starts to manifests itself in different ways. And I'm, I want to ask the, the, the strapping young men at the soundboard if you can give me a clock, um, the, if you can hit that start on the clock. And hopefully we have all of our notes up on the screen, including the first one on bitterness. There it is. All right. Everybody give my hand this morning. Yeah. Good job. Good job. All right. And so what does the, what does the Scripture say about this? It says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Now again, holiness means to be set apart. It means to be different. I think a lot of times when we see holy, we think of it from a religious perspective, like we're supposed to be moral, right? Uh, but holy really means to be set apart. It means to be different. God is holy in that he is altogether set apart and altogether different. Without it, Without peace, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. And so the writer of Hebrews is very attuned that bitterness can trip you up. Whoever wrote Hebrews, he's like, I've seen this before. It's going to eat at you. It's going to, it's going to grow. It's going to fester, Right? And, and, and bitterness, it talks about the root of bitterness, right? The root of bitterness. And what, what do we know about roots? Roots are just the base. They're the foundation. There's something uh, a lot more sinister that grows up over top of it, right? Because we've got weeds in our backyard. We, we had a very sad incident over the past 12 months where we had, we had all these beautiful Leland Cypress that we had no idea we had backyard neighbors it was fantastic, and then one fell down, and we had to cut them all down because they're getting scraggly and starting to fall, and then we realized that we've got backyard neighbors, 
which, which as a pastor really makes you like, oh, I've got to really live this Christianity stuff out, man. <laughs> it's like, stand, you know, everybody's standing out there in their bathrobe, you know, their dogs barking at each other and like, hey, how you doing? But now that we've, now that we've cut down all those trees, guess what's grown up in their place? Weeds. Weeds. Lots of weeds. And, and I can send my boys out there, and they can take the weed eater, and they can, you know, and it just looks like, you know, weed, blood, and guts everywhere. I mean, because these are big, big stalks. And, and, and you can do that, but guess what happens a little, a little while later? You got more weeds. Because if you don't deal with the root, you're going to continue to get the problem above it, right? The root of bitterness. But what else has roots? About love. Having the root of love in your life. Because you can have love grow in your life as well. That if you plant that seed of love, if you, if you continually consume the word of God and, and consume the words of Jesus and, and, you can, and you continually grow in that area, you can replace that root of bitterness with a root of love and start living that out as well. So you've got bitterness, but you also have vengeance. Talked a lot about this over the last two weeks. Vengeance, like I'm going to get it, I'm going to get my way, I'm going to pay you back, I'm going I'm, I'm going to win in this area. Uh, it says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what we need to understand from this verse is love through prayer is an antidote to hatred. It's really hard to hate someone that you're praying for all the time. Y'all there? That's, that's hard, right? That's hard because you got that mean old boss above you that's passed you over three times and, and, and they, you know, the toxic work environment and you're like, I, I'm supposed to honor those who are in authority over me and I don't want to honor that person. They're a, a jack wagon, you know? I'm, it's, it's, yeah, I just don't want to. That's, that's, my, that's my PG version of, you know, certain words that I could use that we can all, we can all digest that one. It's hard because praying for them, well, that takes energy. The Bible calls prayer labor. Like you got to work at it. I saw something recently that says if you find prayer hard, maybe you should look at it as a sign of maturity, not a sign of immaturity. Because prayer should be labor, that you should work at it, that it shouldn't be just easy, that prayer is difficult, Right? But that we're, we're to love our enemies. In fact, there's a, a famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. says, we are not advocating violence. We want to love our enemies. I want you to love our enemies, be good to them, love them, and let them know that you love them. That's really hard with our enemies because we know that we're right and they're wrong. We'll get on a little bit about that later. So, Show love and not hatred. Another verse from Psalm says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up on your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. 
I feel like I'm agitated all the time, don't you? Like you turn on the news, you turn on Twitter, you drive down 24 or Old Fort Parkway, it's really easy to get agitated, right? But, but scripture says, give that up because it, it's going to tear you apart from the inside. And we, we live in a world that's constantly agitated. We live in a world that finds its identity in rage and anger and hatred and, 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 and opposing each other. But what do we do about righteous anger and righteous indignation? And I think that, that that's warranted, but I think that what happens to us as believers is that we can justify it as righteous indignation really easily. There's a Scottish hymn writer, George Matheson. He says, there are times when I do well to be angry, but I have often mistaken the times. Right? No, I deserve to be angry on this issue. I, 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 I'm right in this issue. I, I need to be angry. But let's continue in Scripture. It says, don't say, I will avenge this evil. Again, wait on the Lord, and he will rescue you. But that's hard. We're, we're a now society, right? If we, if we order something and Amazon doesn't have it on our front doorstep by the, within the next five hours, we're like, man, they're slow today. What is going on? That's why I tell telling friends that you ought to move to Central Tennessee. You get stuff same day. They're like, what? Before you know it, we're going to have drones dropping, you know, stuff on our heads. Look at what it says here, Colossians. But now put away all the following. Anger, rage, malice, wrath, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Put it away. If you find yourself getting angry all the time, put it away, fight it, wrestle it, take every thought captive is what scripture says. You've, you've got to fight those things. You've got, to, you've got to work it out of your life because it's going to eat you up. I mean, how, how good is it to be angry all the time, right? But instead, pray for your enemies, love them, right? So that, that, another thing is pride. Pride is a the root of, of unforgiveness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Man, what if we, what if we live like that? Just let's, let's just, let's not talk about your neighbors. What if we just live like that in the church? What if we just live like, you know what? I, I am going to, I'm going to esteem you more highly than I esteem myself. I'm going to see you as more important than I see myself. I'm going to put your needs over my needs. And humility, that's what humility does. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's like, I'm going to put your needs before I put my own needs. And, that, and that's what the, the Christian church early on, that's what, what the writers to the Christian church, especially Paul was saying, you've got you've to put on humility. You've got you've to exercise this muscle. I know that's not what the world is like. I know this is countercultural. I know that we've, we've, we've been raised up in a culture that says, no, you've got to can all you get and get all you can, and you've got you've to look out for yourself or no one else is going to. But here in the church, what we have to do is fight that cultural argument and say, no, we're going to be countercultural. We're going to be different. We're going to be weird. We're going to be holy. And we're going to 
exercise humility. We're going to show humility. But what's hard about that is we have rights, right? We love our rights. Now, I'm not talking about constitutional rights. This is not a constitutional uh, a message. This is not a political message. I'm not talking about what's going on outside the four walls. I'm talking about inside of here. When it looks like you are defending your rights internally inside the church, there might be something wrong. Because Jesus says, hey, I want you to give up your rights in here. I want you to look out for each other. I want you to, to humble yourself before each other. I want you to think that each other is more important than yourself. You know, I, uh, I uh, remember a time when my dad was doing a, a, a construction project, and it went awry really, really badly, as a lot of construction projects do. And he had signed a contract with this guy, and um, there was a, a, a fight about money, and my dad pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued justice, and the more he pursued justice, the more he didn't get justice, and the more angry he got, the more bitter he got, and then finally he went and met with the contractor one-on-one. He said, I need to do this not so much for you, but for myself. I forgive you. And the debt that's outstanding between us is forgiven. And he said, you should have seen his face. He just like was shocked, just shocked. And he said, from that point onward, he said that there was such a weight that was lifted off of his shoulders because he was no longer fighting for himself. Instead, he just gave it to God and said, God, I, I can't control this situation. You're going to have to fight for me. In fact, there's a a great verse here in Corinthians says, as it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. In other words, he had believers that were suing believers, right? He's like, yeah, you already, this is already ending up badly. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? In other words, Paul's saying, can't you just take the hit? For the sake of unity, for the sake of the fellowship, for the sake of the, for, of the Christian church, for the sake of the testimony that we're putting out to the four walls, outside the four walls, can't you just take the hit? That's hard, though, because, again, we'll wait. That's not right. Didn't say it was right. The idea about forgiveness is never saying what was done to you was right. The idea of forgiveness is that you give up your right to take vengeance on the other person and you allow God to deal with them. And that's hard because, again, me personally, I'm a control freak. I want to control the outcome. And the more I try to control the outcome, the more I realize I cannot control the outcome. Can I, all of my recovering you know, control freaks out in the audience agree with me? It's, it's, you realize, like, I, I've, I'm trying, but it, it's not working. So the pride in and of itself is evil. Hebrews and James, they both quote the same verse. It says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But pride also produces unwanted results. And one of them is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. I had Wyatt look at that, make sure I didn't spell it wrong. It says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times, what? You yourself have cursed others. How true that is, though, isn't it? 
How many times you've heard someone say something about you or the rumor got around? I cannot believe that they're saying such and such about me. What in the world? I'm going to, I, I can't, what? I can't believe that. And how many times have we done the same thing? It's what Ecclesiastes is saying. It says, hey, don't take it to heart. In fact, they had someone very wise say, uh, don't believe all your praise and don't believe all your criticism. In other words, as a, as a pastor, there's going to be times people are going to be like, you're the best. Ever. That was the best message ever, ever. I'm like, yeah, it was. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. <laughs> and there are going to be times of like, you're the worst pastor ever. Like you, you can't get too high on the highs and you can't get too low on the lows. You can't believe all the praise and you can't believe all the criticism. You got to realize that the people that are saying these things are human just like you. And the thing about pride is it ignores this aspect of our lives that, oh, wait, I have done the same thing. It ignores, it ignores what is going on in the other person's life. Pride says that I have it all figured out and everyone else is a moron. That's where pride comes in in my life, especially driving. Everybody's a moron. What are you doing? Have you ever heard of a blinker? Why are you cutting me off? The left lane is for the fast people. <laughs> right? And the thing about pride is it causes us to judge without knowing the whole story. This is my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Let me say that again. Actually, let's let James say that again. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So how do you fight human anger? Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And this is, this is when, you're, when you are, when you're slow to listen and quick to speak, the outcome of that is also quick to be angry. But if you can reverse all that and actually do what James is saying, like, all right, I'm going to stop and I'm going to be quick to listen. Is that a good picture, Josh? Yeah. I was, you mean? <laughs> you kind of warned me. I got I to gotta stand up straighter. And, okay, good. Why is it, I mean, listening is, is such a lost skill in our society. Even when we're listening, we're not listening because we're already formulating what we're going to say in response, right? So what would it look like if we were to slow down and we were quick to listen? How do you listen? You ask lots of questions. Tell me about that. You don't ask yes or no questions. Someone says something to you, tell me, let's, let's go a little bit deeper on that. What do you mean by that? 
not questions like entrapment questions. So what you're saying is, no, tell me about that. Why do you think that way? Tell me, tell me when, did you, when did you first feel that way? When did you first have that emotion? When did you first have that belief? What spawned that? And you're quick to listen, and you slow down, and you exercise those fruits of the Spirit, like patience, long-suffering, And you sit with people and you're just in their presence and, and, you, and, and you're not so quick to like, I got to get my, I got to stake my ground in, in this conversation. Quick to listen and you're slow to speak. This one's tough. Because I, I, it, I get in environments sometimes where I'm like, I've got to say something because I don't want them to think I'm an idiot. Or I got to say something because I don't want them to think I'm agreeing with what they're talking about. Or I want to say something because I want to make myself look good. And I always come back to that old adage where it's, uh, it's better to remain silent and thought of fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. Because I can, oh gosh, there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, I've got this keeping silent thing down. I've got it. I've got it. Just listening to them. I'm just letting them, I'm just letting them just, you know, Dig their own hole, just just listening. Dig their own hole, and it's out there, and I can't get it back up. It's like, man, why could I? Why could I not exercise that muscle? Why could I not be quiet? Why could I not keep it to myself? It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard, but when you do that, when you're quick to listen, you're slow to speak. It will produce this amazing result byproduct of being slow to be angry. And I think a lot of that is you start to have empathy for people. Be like, man, I don't agree with 100% of what they're saying, but I, have an, I, can, I can see what's happened. Not I can justify their belief. I can see what has happened. You have a different perspective. You're able to talk about it in a much more intelligible way. Another thing that happens if, if you have a lot of pride in your life is you start to become hypersensitive. And what I mean by this is you listen to the message that we had over the past two weeks, and you're like, I've got to confront people. And then you're like, why am I confronting so many people? Right? I know a lot of people like this where, where they, they they're constantly have hurt feelings, right? They're constantly like, oh, that hurt. Oh, that, that's, that's painful. Oh, that was not right. They should not have done that. And the reason it happens so much in the church is you're only hurt by the people that care about you and the people you care about. I mean, think about that. Somebody at work hurts you, like, yeah, they don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't love me. They don't have my best interests at heart. But like when your pastor hurts you because I walked by you and I was thinking about something else and I didn't say hi, and you're like, that really hurt. I thought he cared about me. And I'm just like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> 
I know that's funny, but think about that with just with other people in your life. Man, where were we, Wyatt? Where were we the other day where I was hangry? Oh, I was, there was a, there was something that happened like about a week or two ago. And uh, no, Jennifer and I, we were, it was just Jennifer and I, we were at uh, Home Goods and we were shopping for, for stuff for the house. And uh, there, sometimes I get a, there's a tipping point. I don't know where it is on my blood sugar needle, or, but I tip and all of a sudden it is like, it's on like Donkey Kong. Like <laughs> I, I was standing in line and it was Saturday, pure chaos in Home Goods. And I don't know if you've ever been to Home Goods, but they've, they've got to get with Chick-fil-A and figure out how to make that line work better because that line was wrapped all the way down. And there was this lovely lady in front of me, and she had kids, and the kids were cute. Uh, but the kids loved everything on the shelf, on every shelf. And it was falling, and they were making noise, and everything that made noise they were touching, and they were hitting the, the cell phone cases, and they were falling on the floor, like, I mean, over and over and over. And Jennifer walked to go put something away. And when she got back, I was like, I got to go. She goes, why? I was like, I got to go. She's like, we've waited this long in line. I'm like, I don't care if I don't get out of here, something bad's going to happen. And I just, we just went and put the stuff back, and, and I left. And I went and got, like, Chick-fil-A or something. I don't know what it was. But I had to get, I was thinking to myself, how many times have I encountered someone in that very same situation but I was so quick to judge because no one should act that way, right? And you start become hypersensitive about how people treat you. And Proverbs says this, God's sense, good sense makes, well, it's actually good sense, it's God's sense, right? Good sense makes one slow to anger, there it is again. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. When's the last time someone did something to you where you're like, you know what? I actually don't have to, I'm gonna overlook that. It's not, most of what I'm feeling is me, not them, right? We talked about last week is you, you, you're responsible to confront an individual when you see it is a pattern in their life. When it's over and over and over. When it's something that's actually going to rupture a relationship. If it's going to rupture a relationship or it might get there, you need to have the conversation. Because again, only those you care about can truly hurt you. And another thing I was thinking about this as well is you only get, this is true for all of us, you only get upset when someone hurts you because your expectation of them was far greater than their ability to deliver on the result. I mean, think about that for a second. When someone hurts you, when something stings, you had an expectation that they should not treat you that way. But they were not able to deliver on that result. Now, I'm not saying lower your expectations, but I am saying sometimes our expectations on people are completely unreasonable. Let's take my wife, for example. It is unreasonable for you to expect your spouse to meet every need that you have in your life. That's why it is more important for you to become the right person before you get married than to find the right person before you get married. Think about that. 
That's why you've got to be a whole individual before you get married. That's why when you get married, you've got to pursue Christ. In fact, when I do, when I do weddings, that's what I charge the bride and the groom. I say, pursue Christ in all things because you've got to be pursuing Christ far harder than you're pursuing each other. You've got to put Christ in your life first. You've got to make sure that you're whole spiritually. My wife's responsibility is not to fulfill my spiritual needs. Right? I, I've got to find my wife's responsibility is not to fulfill my identity needs. I find my identity in Christ. I find my identity in, in who Christ has called me to be. I find my identity in who God has raised me up as a believer in the, in the circumstances and, and the experiences he's put in my life. That's who my identity, my identity is as a husband. My identity is as a father. But my wife's responsibility is not to con constantly come behind me and prop up my identity. I've got to find that in something greater than human beings. I've got to find that in my creator. In fact, our students, we're talk, we're in a, we just started a new series with our youth group, and it is all about identity because the world is trying to place on your children identity. And they have to go to their creator first to find out who they are. And it's the same thing with us. It's the same thing with us. We've got to find our identity in Christ. Now, when it comes to disagreements within the church, again, like we're, the thing about our church and every church I've been a part of is everybody's different. People believe different things, have different, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, grew up in different parts of the country. And I came across this quote about about having enemies in the church. And it, uh, it's from D.A. Carson. He's a great theologian who wrote a lot of different com commentaries. He said, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they all have been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another in this light. They are a band, listen to this, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. How, how powerful that is. That's why the world gets upset looking at the church when we show off these fruits of the Spirit. That's why the world gets upset and gets threatened by that. No, 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 you should be enemies. No, no, we're all loved by Jesus. Don't, how could she say that about you and you not respond because she's loved by Jesus and I'm loved by Jesus and I am quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. We're all together holy. We're all together different. We're all together weird. All together weird. Now, the thing is about this is it should be expected. 
Disagreements should be expected. People getting enraged should be expected. People getting agitated should be expected. Because Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. How many times he says many in this? Because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many, again, will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So as, as the age, this, the, the horizon, we can see the horizon to the end of the age where Jesus is coming back and we can say, you know, with per, pretty good confidence that he is coming back for sure and it feels like it's pretty close. And so if that's the case, then this actually starts to hold true because many, 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 many will be deceived. Many will fall away. But we're called to be different again, right? Hebrews says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Encourage each other daily. In other words, it's our responsibility to encourage each other daily. It's our responsibility to get behind each other. It's our responsibility to go, I know how you feel, but you can do it. I know how you feel. I know this is tough, but this is what God has called us to do. I know, I know what you're going through, but let me encourage you. And that's, that's, that's the big reason why the church exists is so that, so that we can hold each other accountable, that we can be a united force. And that's why as a church, we have small groups. We have small groups, not, not just because I, 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 I want you to come in here and listen and write notes and, and, and go out and say, man, that was a great message. That's great. But in 24 hours, you're going to be like, what did he say? But when you're together with a group on a weekly basis and you're, and you're talking about your life and, and you're talking about your struggles and you're talking about, man, this is difficult. And you're talking about, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And you're able to come together and you're able to encourage one another. Because I want you to come to church and I want you to love Alenia. And I think that's great. But I want you to have Christian friends. I want you to have a group of people that you can call in the middle of the night I want you to have a group of people that you can say, I need help. There was a um, church that I worked at when I was really, really young, just out of college. And there was a story about, about a small group. And the, it was a tragedy in a small group. I think the, um, one of the ladies in the small group had had a miscarriage. And the other couples in the small group were calling and they're saying do you need anything do you want anything and they she wouldn't answer the phone they just kept going the voicemail kept going the voicemail kept going the voicemail and finally they got hold of the husband and they're like what can we do how can we help what's going on and he says she doesn't want to talk to anybody she just needs her space and that group of ladies they got together, they called each other, and they made a plan. And they all showed up and knocked on the door. The husband answered the door, and they pushed their way past them. And they went and found her, and they grabbed her, and they embraced her. 
and they cried with her. Because that's what people do when they love each other. They don't take no for an answer. Hebrews, he keeps, keeps on, he says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. As soon as I read that, I go back to that idea of the root of bitterness. Let's not pro- provoke each other to sow a root of bitterness. Let's provoke each other to love and good works. You ever been provoked? You ever been provoked? It's never a good thing, right? Someone provokes you, like your, your fist like starts to ball up, provoke me one more time and see what happens. But here we have scripture saying provoke each other, but in a different way. What if it was like provoke each other to where you want to do something? I want to do something. I want to knock their socks off. I want to, I want to blow them away. They've never experienced a relationship like this where they have love like this. I'm gonna, we're going to provoke each other. Let's be a church that provokes each other to love and good works. So when the world looks at us and go, what in the world? How did they come up like I was provoked? Not neglecting gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, as a pastor, pastors love to rest on this passage. I'm not going to rest on this. I'm just going to say, y'all know who you are. But encouraging each other. Again, all the more as you see the day approaching. So here, here's, here's, my, here's my call to action for you today. We're going we're gonna to stand and, and we're going to worship and we're going to solidify this word of God in our hearts by just giving God glory. But here's my call to action to you. One, forgive The reason I want you to forgive is I don't want that bitterness, that vengeance, that pride to eat you from the inside out like cancer. Now, say forgive. Here's the second thing. I know that's hard. And here's the second part. Find a group of people that you can get around and that will encourage you, and that will hold you accountable. And here at Alinea, we do that through small groups. And so outside, we have tables set up for small groups. And some of you need to get in a group of people on a regular basis because you need Christian friends in your life because you know that this Christ life walk is hard. And Hebrews says, yes, of course it's hard, but I want you to get together. Don't abandon forsaking the assembly of yourselves because you need to get together to encourage each other. Why? Because the end is coming. And when the end comes, 
Jesus will descend and he will take us to be with himself and all of this nonsense will go away and all of this hatred will go away and all of this deception will go away and all the lies and the anger and the wrath and the things that cause you to get tight chested will go away. But in the meantime, that's coming. That's a promise. That's a hope. We know what's happening. We can get excited about that. But until then... Encourage one another because until then, it's going to get hard. If it's not already been hard for you, it's going to be difficult. And you need people to come alongside of you and to lock arms and say, we can do this together. I want to help you. And I know you're, you're filled with rage. And I know you're filled with anger. And I know you're filled with hurt. And I know you're filled with bitterness. But I want to help you because we can do this together. In fact, I'm going to get you past that point. I'm going to get you, I'm going to provoke you to do good works. We're going to be a, a small group that, that, that just knocks the socks off of people because we're going to be a provoking people. And we're going to love outlandishly and we're going to forgive full of grace. Why? Because Jesus set the example for us. When he was on the cross and he looked at them and he said, please, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Would you stand with me? As we go into worship, Father God, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. God, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would help us to find inside of us the, the will and the strength to obey in this area of forgiveness. Father God, Lord, that you would surround us with people that will love us and challenge, and challenge us and, and root us on and, and help us through the hard times, Father God. I pray that as we go out and we look at groups, I pray that everyone would get into a group. Everyone would find a, a group of people that they can call home, a group of people that they can call lifelong friends, a group of people that want the best for each other. In your name we pray, amen.